0: You can tell a very mature organisation because it's a very noisy organisation. So people think that a mature organisation means they've solved all the problems of racism, homophobia, ableism, and everyone's just quiet and calm and peaceful and the organisation can just roll on. No because human nature is complex and it's messy Mm. and when people feel safe, which is one of the biggest requirements in order to have DEI embedded, Mm. you're creating more and more noise and that noise is the source of all the creativity and innovation that you're trying to get at.
1: Welcome to the podcast. My name's Phil Cross. I'm founding partner here at Leaders for Good. For those of you who are new to us and new to the podcast, we are an organization focused on culture change and diversity, equity, and inclusion for organizations. This episode, we are lucky enough to be joined by Naja Powell. Naja is founding partner of Utopia. Utopia are a UK-based DEI organization focused on very similar aims to Leaders for Good. We get into a very wide-ranging conversation, largely focused on what does excellent look like? What does the top end of the maturity spectrum look like for organizations trying to implement and accelerate their efforts towards creating more diverse, equitable, and inclusive environments? We go so far down the rabbit hole on so many interesting things that this is actually a two-part episode. So this is part one, and you can find part two in the show notes links or wherever you happen to find this episode. So we dive into everything from how to generate and build a diversity, equity, inclusion strategy, how how to go about thinking about that, how to... Uh, think about inclusive leadership, what does inclusive leadership truly look like? The importance of listening to your organization and paying attention to the diverse voices and the fact that noisy organizations are good organizations from a, uh, from a DEI perspective, and many, many more things. So without further ado, we bring you this conversation with Nadja Powell, and don't forget to tune in uh, next episode for part two. Nadia, how are you today?
0: I'm good thank you I'm joining you from the UK so it's the middle of the night for me and very early in the morning for you so I'm loving the global connection technology
1: provides yeah, we're we're loving the global connection and the uh, the time zone difference has made made the logistics of this conversation move around a couple of times. But uh, I am delighted we that got we there. Found, we got there. We <laughs> made it happen. Um, so, Nadia, I would have given you a bit of a, a bit of an introduction in the preamble to this episode, but I'd love for you to describe um, you know who you are, how you describe the work you and Utopia do, and I guess a little bit about your journey. How did you how did you find yourself here?
0: Yes, very good question. How do, how do any of us find ourselves in the DEI space? It's always everybody seems to have a a story. So my um, background is actually digital marketing and media, and I did that for a very long time um, within agencies um, in the UK, working on very large clients such as um, Barclays, Aviva, EE. Um, and what was when I reflected on my kind of career, somebody asked me this about a year ago my job then was to help businesses that really did not understand what digital was incorporate digital into their culture and their business because this was the late 90s early 90s everyone was like the internet what do we do and i absolutely loved helping businesses navigate this new space and work out how to operationalize it and how to embed it into their culture so even though i was in digital marketing and media Sort of by accident, I was also in culture change. Mm. Um, And I think that's when I'm at my happiest, is when I'm helping people kind of unlearn what they knew and learn new behaviors. Um, Fast forward to um, sort of the early 10s. Is that what we call them? We've got the 20s, the noughties. I'm calling them the 10s. To the early 10s. And I started to. Do lots of side hustles, kind of by accident. I did a piece of work with called Millennial Mentoring, where I took some young people from Hackney Communi- Community College in London and Austin Community College in America and put them together to work on a brief um, with the idea that they would have better ideas than kind of people in their 30s and 40s would. And I met loads of incredible people, but I realised they would never, ever get a job in a large corporate because they didn't have the communication skills, the educational background, and in some cases, just the ability to appear right for a corporate environment. I did quite a few projects like that. um, And then I started to realise that my passion for digital marketing and media was waning as my passion for DEI was growing. And Tolu, my business partner, describes it as survivor's mission. And Mm. I uh, grew up in a working class background. There's a lot of trauma in my childhood. And the reason why I'm here today is because some people took a a bet on me. Some Mm. people really believed in me and they gave me some chances that I may not have had. And if I hadn't had that, I probably, I mean, I would I have, I have no idea where I'd be, but it definitely wouldn't be on this awesome podcast chatting to you. And so the more I kind of looked into the DEI world, I realized so many things weren't fair. It mm. wasn't fair that they weren't fair. And I wanted to do something about it. So six years ago, I made the flip. Um, I left the digital marketing and media world And I decided to focus 100% on DEI and founded Utopia. And whenever I talk to anybody in this space, it always comes from some form of survivor's mission or belief that business could be better. Um, So I don't see myself as unique in that belief, but it fires me every single day. So I don't know if you've seen the recent news, but there's been a news article about how DEI roles is based on American data are being halved. Mm -hmm. And most of the people who are being made redundant are people from marginalised backgrounds. So Mm. white DEI professionals or straight DEI professionals are remaining. And you read that and you go, it's it's just, it's always happening. The same things, the same obstacles in workplaces. So just as you think, oh, okay, we're kind of getting somewhere, you realise there's more work to do. And that is what really, really drives me. The desire for culture change, the desire for equality, equity and fairness and my big dose of Survivor's Mission.
1: Thank you for sharing. I love it. The, um, there's uh, there's so much to dive into today, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna rein myself in because we we want to get to the topic. But just on the the last point you made there about the um, you know disproportionate impact on um, you know underrepresented or h- historically marginalized groups in in things like layoffs and, and especially in the DEI space, which seems very counterintuitive to the obviously the purpose of the the work we do. It, it highlights it highlights an important truth, and we are going through um, a, a fairly sort of tumultuous economic um, economic time at the moment globally. Um, we're seeing you know a lot of a lot of redundancies, especially in the tech space, and it's when the system is under pressure that we see we really see the cracks. It, it's it's mm. you know, and we're going to talk about what great looks like and, and what um, you know mature organizations from a DEI perspective look like as our, our topic today. But it's easy to it's easier to do the work when everything's going well, when businesses are thriving, but it's when it's when things are, are strained that we, the true colors are shown to to, to some degree. Um, so we'll, I'm sure we'll, we'll get into that. As I mentioned before, the, um, the the topic of today is really what kind of great looks like. And you and I were, you and I were talking about this off, off mic in preparation for this discussion and the, the common question we get asked, especially when we're talking to potential new clients or or new businesses that are are having a discussion with us is, okay, you know, we talk about a maturity spectrum and businesses being at different points along that maturity spectrum. And inevitably the question of, oh, well, what does, what does level five, what does the, what does the top end of the maturity Mm. spectrum look like? And, you know, we thought, Collectively, that would be a really interesting thing to unpack on, on a on a podcast and, and tease out some examples and some and some frames. So I'll I'll, I'll throw it to you again, Nadia. What does and this is a broad, purposefully broad question. <laughs> what, what does what does great look like? You know, what what does a, a sort of level five or whatever scale you're using? What does the, t- the top end of town look like from a, from a, a you know a high maturity organization?
0: Thank you for asking. Um, We do have the privilege of working with some organisations, which I think really are at the high level of maturity. Um, And I think one of the things that is most counterintuitive and that people don't really understand when they're sort of seeking to get to that kind of really mature end is that you can tell a very mature organisation because it's a very noisy organisation. Mm. So people think that a mature organisation means they've solved all the problems of racism, homophobia, ableism, and everyone's just quiet and calm and peaceful and the organisation can just roll on. No, because human nature is complex and it's messy. Mm. And when people feel safe, which is one of the biggest requirements in order to have DEI embedded, Mm. when you have a maturity of um, ability to talk about the topic, so many members... People can discuss microaggressions openly. They can share things which they are finding challenging. Um, When you have leaders who create safe spaces for these things to happen, and when you're driving initiatives forward, um, such as you might be doing training around gender and around being trans or being non-binary, you're creating more and more noise. And that noise is the source of all the creativity and innovation that you're trying to get at. So the more advanced you are, the more noisy you're going to be because people feel like they can be 100% their authentic selves. So when I look at some of the organisations we work with, they are in a constant feedback loop with their employees about everything they do, whether it's policies, systems, whether it's that they've done an advertising campaign which people feel isn't really authentic and hitting the mark, whether it's how feedback is done and people don't feel the feedback um, is as inclusive as it could be, all these different things, you get this noise and this feedback from your employees. And that's when you know you're successful. So I just want to bust that myth that successful doesn't mean quiet and everything's okay. Successful means lots and lots of noise because you're getting all the different cultures, all the different diversities interacting together and really unleashing their real power. Mm. Um, so that is the biggest indicator. So when I work with a business and they go, well, you know, we've got no claims like any grievances and you know we don't really think we've got any problems and we don't really hear from our people of color and you know we've got a lovely pride ERG and they're just kind of doing things that's when I go you've got a serious problem mm. <laughs> because I know that underneath the surface there is a lot of discrimination and prejudice happening and people sure. are staying silent about it because so I don't feel safe so for me that's the the kind of the really big indicator and like I said when when I say that to leaders they all look they're a bit. They're like no. We don't want. We don't want the noise. We want the quiet. Mm. How can you get the creativity and innovation, the benefit of DEI if you don't have all that noise? Mm. Um, the second thing we see is that it's embedded in everything. So DEI is not. Um, a leadership strategy, or it's not a set of ERGs, a large proportion of the workforce are living and breathing DEI on a regular daily basis. And that can be in small little conversations, team meetings, having a 10-minute dedication to a topic. It can be through the ERGs, but the ERG membership is really, really broad. So it's Mm. 10 to 20% of the organization not one or two percent of the organisation. The leaders are talking about it in the town halls. Um, there is obviously a strategy which people are trying to uh, meet and data is being measured. So when you walk into any meeting, you can feel that DEI really lives and breathes in that organisation. It's not something that just HR own or leadership are um Broadcasting out to external influencers, the press or journalism, it's embedded throughout the organisation. And that for me is a a level five maturity. Mm. It kind of links to the noise because you're letting go of control. So a less mature organisation is trying to control it by having the strategy that they're kind of very closely following, but it's probably being created by leadership and not crowdsourced with the team. And the ERGs are only allowed to do events and they've got no budget and they've got no resource. And if they try and step out of that space and they kind of get, told off so it's again it's having this free flowing sense that dei is everywhere it's almost in the air that you breathe within the organization mm-hmm. so i'd say that is kind of the second sign that you've got um a more mature organization which again is quite scary because you are relinquishing control um the third thing which is more um uh, structural is that you have a really lovely partnership between leadership and between people on the ground. So leadership are making things happen and people on the ground are advising leadership on what needs to happen. If you have one without the other, it either leadership are driving change and it's misguided because they don't really understand what's happening on the ground or the people on the ground are, being, are facing far too many obstacles in order to achieve anything because leadership's not clearing the way for them. So you have this really powerful partnership between the two. And then I think the fourth thing is the sophistication of their policies. So um, I think I'm going to describe this accurately. So a great example of this is Lloyds Bank, um, which is a British bank. but I think it's uh, got global outposts as well. Um, And they have recently changed their um, health insurance policy to cover um, medical transitioning. Now that is incredible. Um, I think they're one of the few businesses in the UK to do that. I'm sure they found it very difficult to get a medical insurance provider to cover that as part of the policy and to embed that within their organisation. But when you see policies that are genuinely driving equity, it's not just Yay, we've got equal parental leave, mm. or yay, we you know if you adopt, you get adoption leave, and it's the same as maternity leave mm. or parental leave. It's really sophisticated and nuanced, and it's really considering different lived experiences. That I'd say is kind of um, the fourth things. and I'm going to do a fifth, if that's okay. I feel Go like I've it. spoken a lot. Go for it. The Go fifth for it. is constant listening. So you have a structure where you are constantly listening to your people um, and it's a formal structure. So they could be biannual listening sessions. They could be surveys which capture demographics as well because if you don't capture demographics, how do you know what's really happening? So you, as well as your people giving you a, a feedback loop because they feel safe and they can be their authentic selves, you've got a process and a mechanism in order to constantly get that feedback loop as well. Those would be my five my five identifiers of a mature organization um
1: love it love it um so <laughs> many so many places to dive in maybe i'll maybe i'll start at the top and 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 we can because five five nicely links, loops back to one as well i think which is you know the the noisy organization and then actually having a mechanism to capture and make sense of and 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 encourage i suppose the the, the noise and, and and signal that this is something that you you do want to hear um I'll, I'll ask the devil's advocate question first because uh, you know I'm 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 in broad agreement with you on on these points, but that doesn't make for an interesting conversation. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, challenge me.
1: <laughs> if you like what you've heard so far in the podcast and are looking for new ways to bring diversity, equity, and inclusion to life in your organisation, why not reach out for a chat? At Leaders for Good, we offer a range of solutions from diversity, equity, inclusion, strategy sprints through to inclusive leadership workshops to DEI training for your whole organization. So if that sounds good, drop us an email at hello at leadersforgood.org. The challenge comes from the stance that a few fairly high profile organizations have kind of taken in this space. Uh, And I'm thinking 37 Signals, I'm thinking Coinbase, which recently um, basically declared that any political discussion any discussion around social issues any discussion around is- issues that DEI um DEI based mm. topics would, would kind of fall under is um basically not allowed in the workplace um the, there's you know you can you can obviously go to HR for things and, and you can or people and culture uh, but but that they're they're in charge of dealing with it and we 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 don't want to hear it in in the workplace mm. and if you want to form groups outside of it go for it but This is, uh, I think, the language that one of the... I think it was Coinbase used is we're we're a mission-focused organization. You come here to... Build the best crypto wallet, or whatever it might be, and and all that other stuff falls by the falls by the wayside. And and the intention there, I suppose, is 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 to create an environment free from distraction. They, you know, they want people spending time on the tools and doing the job, and they they don't want people having these type of discussions. What, what would you What would you say as as a kind of counter counterpoint to to those organisations?
0: I get very. Um angry when people use the politics word, Mm. because human rights aren't political. Mm. So um, within most countries, specifically in the Western world, there are Laws which enshrine people's right to exist
1: mm-hmm.
0: and which make discrimination and prejudice illegal. Now, obviously, in some countries, we're seeing those laws being overturned at horrific rates, such as, especially around LGBTQ rights. There are 70 countries now where being LGBTQ is not protected by law, and I think it's 15 countries where it's a death penalty um, if you're found to be LGBTQ. But if you were to look at Australia or the UK or the States, our identities are protected. So that's not political, whether you're Republican or whether you're Democrat, whether you're liberal or whether you're conservative or Labour, your identity and your right to express your identity in the workplace is protected. Mm -hmm. So when people start to call it political, I'm just like, so me being a woman is political, is it? Because all I'm asking for is to ensure that I'm being treated equitably as a woman, as a man would be. Mm -hmm. Um, So... I find the use of the word political really problematic because it's not political. Mm. Um, if human rights are political, then I'm 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 starting to question, you know, what's going on in the world. Human rights have been protected for a really long time. When it comes to it being a distraction, I think that's really interesting because, like you say, it relates back to the noisy organisation. Every single piece of data shows that the only way you get creativity and innovation is if people feel psychologically safe and that they can be their authentic self. So, if you cannot discuss your identity or share your identity, or if you feel someone is marginalizing you due to your identity, how on earth can you be? brilliantly wonderfully creative you can't Mm. because you're having to put your energy into hiding who you are navigating potentially toxic workspaces and if you if you are starting to reveal so you know say i get really emotional (laughs) emotional about something And then it's traded that I'm being emotional and I can't say, are you saying that because I'm female? I'm Mm. actually just so passionate about this topic. And then I'm told that's a political statement. Mm. I'm silenced immediately. Am I going to come up with any ideas and I'm going to suggest anything? I'm just going to try and replicate whatever is the dominant culture in that organisation in order to survive. And I can guarantee that my creativity, my innovation, my brilliance will be smothered. And also, to be honest, if I'm at a certain stage and have a certain amount of privilege, I'll go somewhere else. Mm. I'm not going to go somewhere where I can't be proud and talk about my identity. It doesn't make any sense. So for me, there are two huge complications with it. Calling human rights political is political, in my opinion. Mm. And smothering and denying people their ability to be themselves is not... It's going to take us back to the 1950s when everyone was wearing a grey suit and a tie and we were just doing the same thing over and over again. In this... Very, very scary, very complex, ever changing world. We need it's only this our brains which makes an organization brilliant. So, if we don't let those brains be unleashed, I I can't quite see how you're going to survive.
1: Agree. But Uh, yeah, it's
0: very, it's very annoying and quite dangerous, I think, saying it's political
1: and dangerous for the organization too. There's uh, making yourself. Deaf to what your people care about doesn't strike me as a doesn't strike me as a wise long term strategy. You're 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 simply putting yourself in a position as an organisation where you have no idea who your people are, what they care about, and 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 what they want from from their working life. And 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 if you close down that that conversation and and don't provide avenues to facilitate it, like you say, over over time, people will migrate away they will go to organizations that 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 will listen that that do create spaces for people to be whoever they are and 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 organizations that are that are not on that bandwagon will i think i think um through lack of innovation through lack of creativity all the things you just uh, you just mentioned um disappear themselves over over time or or at least severely narrow their scope to to a very linear linear thing that they're, they're doing
0: it's a commander control and mm. every single piece of data shows that a commander control structure no longer works it worked when we were running um factory lines because people were doing a replicable tasks the same replicable task over and over again
1: mm. and
0: then you needed someone to say this is how you do it please do it please and then they right. would do it same task over and over again the world has moved on sure. everything changes i mean um the recent Oscar-winning film, Everything Everywhere All at Once. I'm hearing a lot of people using it. Lots of people using it as a a kind of a summary for our lives now. Like Mm. it's everything everywhere all at once. That was the film, but it's also our reality. And in a world of everything everywhere all at once, there is no commander control. Mm. Like you can't commander control us out of where we are now. The world's changed. So where you have organizations that are trying to say we're mission focused, focus on the mission, don't think about anything else, don't be yourself, just deliver on the mission. That ship sailed a long, long time ago. Mm.
1: The the um, um, the analogy Matthew's side, um, the you know the author on. Uh, um, uh, Rebel Ideas was, I think, his most recent book. Um, the the analogy he uses there to, to to kind of illustrate this is in a if you had a purely linear process where there's really only kind of one thing to measure, and he uses a relay race as an example. Like uh, ideally, in a relay race, you would just have four Usain Bolts in a in a, in a yeah. row. You, you you just need the four fastest people who can hand over the baton, and you really don't need to you know you don't need to care about about uh, about anything else there that's not the world most organisations or any organisation. Yeah, we're
0: not on a racing track, which no. we know where it's going and when it finishes. We're, we're on a cross-country race with no map. <laughs> so right. exactly. you need a whole different set of skills and you need to leverage those skills. So, yeah, I think I think we can say that um, they're wrong. Let's just say they're wrong. Those organisations, <laughs> dear organisations, you're wrong.
1: Yeah, the yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <I>, <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Put a put a nice bow on that. the the the, <laughs> the the other the other the other um and and inspired by the name of your uh, your organisation, the the other sort of counterpoint and and obviously again I'm just playing devil's advocate here, but isn't the utopia we're aiming at? A, a place where there isn't there isn't you know a need for turmoil there isn't a need for for discussion about uh about about these things you know the and as long as as long as inequity and, and a kind of fracture exists in society, it will it will exist in organizations and there will be a need to have conversations about things. But it isn't the end game, you know, if we fast forward ourselves, I don't know, 200 years and, and we're a much more enlightened, much more advanced, much more utopian civilization, wouldn't the wouldn't the eventual end game be that be that organizations are a more quiet place? I'm just again throwing that in there as a bit of a devil's advocate question.
0: It's never ever gonna happen because um it's just not yeah it's just never gonna happen Mm. because um we're too messy like we're not robots we've got robots now so thank you robots for taking away all the replicable tasks that's freeing us up to use our brains um i mean there's another conversation there using our brains to exhaustion almost Mm. but the, the utopia dream for me um the way we see it is it's a place we can never get to but we aspire to it but the utopia I'm aspiring to get to is noisy creative innovative and hopefully for good rather Mm. than um some of the things that we were just talking about not for good I think yeah we could say people will often say leaders often say this well you know my child's in a school And that school, they're learning about racism and it's really mixed. And my children's generation, you know, there won't be any racism. Or when I was growing up, we used to say there was no homophobia was going. Homophobia is on the increase now at an alarming rate like we've never seen before. Hate crime is on the increase. We've just had the seventh murder of a black trans woman in the States, which nobody is being prosecuted for. The, The government, police don't seem to care. So... Saying, okay, well, it's go- you know the kids are going to save the day. It's only going to get better. The systemic prejudice we have in our heads and built into our societies is going to take centuries to change. Mm. And because humans are so messy, that change is not going to be linear at all. Um, so for me, the real utopia we're aiming for is always going to be slightly messy but it's going to be messy in a way that we get to be our creative, innovative selves and do good. That's the kind of utopia I'm looking for. I don't want the quiet. I don't want the quiet version. That sounds bad.
1: It sounds boring too. It, yeah, sounds, it, like it, it, sounds,
0: it-, it- sounds like robots. It sounds like we've just all become
1: robots. It sounds like we'll all end up as the uh, the, the the humans on the the starship in Worley. Um, you know, we're all just float, floating around, and, and our oh, robot, yeah. our robot uh, robot servants are just bringing us uh, bringing us food and showing us things on screens. And Though so I do
0: like the sitting down all the time element of it. I've always liked <laughs> that bit. I was like, oh, I could quite sit down all the time. Um, but yes, that's not the utopia that I'm I'm trying to get to
1: love it love it and and I, th- I believe the second point on your on your list of uh, list of, of of criteria was around embedded into uh, embedded into the the whole system of an organization and that's that's something yeah. we 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 heartily agree with at leaders for good um you know Kerry and i both come from transformation and strategy backgrounds and we know that no no change initiative of any of any sort or, or no um cu- culture is influenced by everything and 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 that includes systems processes tools technology how the company's marketed how it talks about itself like everything uh everything there i'm wondering if there's a couple of examples you could use of um uh, of of you know, sort of uh, more mature organisations, what they're doing, and, and you, you you shared a you shared a great one before around the um, uh, the um, uh, was it Lloyd's Bank the um, the transition yeah. yeah. Uh, are there any other are there any other processes and policies or or, or ways that organisations have got there, or ways organisations think about bringing it to life in everything they do mm. that you can share?
0: So first of all, I'd say it's organisations that see this as a continuous journey not like we'll do a year of defining our strategy and training some people Um, you can you can really tell the difference when you can see a business is going okay this is forever this isn't like a three-year plan you can have a three-year plan but it's forever so one of the businesses we've worked with for the longest amount of time um, is Coca-Cola European Partners which is very sorry it's now called coca-cola euro pacific partners um because they've just done a partnership with australia so they're based in australia the uk and four or five countries across europe and they're the distribution partner for coca-cola so they are a manufacturing and sales organization as opposed to coca-cola the brand um so the way the journey there started with them is we did start by defining a strategy so they didn't have a strategy in place and once we defined the strategy um the, the, the general manager at the time sort of articulated very, very clearly that this was a philosophy. And I thought that was such a fundamental difference because the strategy is a very clinical thing. It's on a piece of paper. You need it. It gives everyone what the structure that they need in order to move forward. But his articulation of it as a philosophy for me was absolutely crucial. They then placed it at the heart of their business strategy. So it wasn't, you know, a people strategy, it wasn't an HR strategy, it wasn't a CSR strategy, it was right at the heart of their business strategy. So it was one of their three pillars for how they were going to win in the marketplace. So that for me, right from the beginning was signaling a really key piece of um, intent. Whereas other organizations we work with, it sits only ever with HR. And it's about people training and capability, rather than it being about winning in the marketplace. So that, I'd say, is like a really, a really good example. We then um, did, they had a, a leadership program and we then, um, which was about five days over three months, and one day was given up to DEI and how to build capability in their 450 leaders, and that included their supply chain. Now, a lot of businesses are really nervous to go into supply chain, and so they might focus on their corporate staff, but they don't want to go into the factories, the people who grasped it by the horns the most was supply chain, because when they understood the impact it could have on their daily lives, like inclusions for everyone, it's not just for women or people of colour, it's for older men too, it's for it's for everybody, they really wanted to adopt it and embed it into their organisation. So we saw this massive groundswell from all these leaders going through this quite hefty change experience. They also created an ambassador network called Just Be. It's 150 people in an organization of 4,000. And again, they're embedded in every single site, in every single area of CCEP. So you had leadership calling it a philosophy. You had the leader layer being given the capabilities to understand it, and you had the ambassadors to activate it. So suddenly you've got a really nice infrastructure. Um, the next thing they did is they realized they had a real problem with recruitment because they weren't getting the diverse talent through. Their head office is based in um, a very diverse area of the UK where 45% of the workforce are people of color. And they realized that they weren't getting enough people through at the long list stage and they also weren't hiring at the right levels. So they did some really deep work on their processes around recruitment um, and they measured it with data. So they made sure that they were achieving what they needed to achieve they then and they looked at other like feedback processes all that kind of thing they then realized and this is pre-george floyd's murder that they had a problem when it came to ethnicity and that they had what we call a sticky floor so glass ceiling for women sticky floor for people of color and they had some brilliant talent who'd been um, scored some of their highest performing talent but they weren't being promoted And they thought they had no problem because they'd never had any formal complaints or grievances. But when they did some listening to their people of colour, they realised they had a huge problem. And actually, those people had just been silent sometime for as much as 10 years because when they did speak out, they'd been told they were difficult or troublemakers. So, again, they tackled that head on and they did a huge change programme across leadership, We built a specific strategy around ethnicity and ethnic inclusion and rolled that out across the organisation. So, and the reason we could do that, and this is really important, is because they had the foundation. If you go in and tackle ethnicity head on as the only thing you do, you will get a backlash because people do not have the basic level of understanding to understand what equity is and why you're doing this. So they were about three years into their journey when they did this. We did loads of work with the ERGs to get them more mature and to set up for success and make sure the ERGs are aligned to the overall strategy. And now they're starting to really tackle disability. So that's their Mm -hmm. kind of next focus. So you can see there it's constant. It's a constant conversation. The leadership team are heavily invested. The Just Be Ambassadors are heavily invested. The kind of sticky middle leaders and managers are heavily invested. And it suddenly becomes part of the fabric of the conversation. It's not unconscious bias training mm-hmm. or allyship training mm. it's strategically motivated and driven culture change mm. um, with capability and collaboration and allyship at the heart of it and for me that's that's when you can see it's working other organizations they'll do a little thing here and then a little thing there and they might get some kind of you know meaty challenge and they'll do something as a reaction to that Mm. meaty challenge but it's not consistent it's not strategically informed and it's not action orientated um so i think for me that's that's like the real kind of classic brilliant organization well done to the team at Coca-Cola europe pacific partners as well they
1: are awesome love it Love it! Oh, so many again, so many things to you. You managed to you managed to you managed to pack so much into <laughs> into every every story, yeah, Nadja. I'm, I'm I, a pithy
0: speaker, I'm you, like you an are. orange. I've got a lot of pith. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love it. So, so what? A, a couple of things I just wanted to to, to highlight in or, or kind of expand on further. And you, you mentioned you mentioned it there in passing, but I, I, I wanted to I wanted to sort of draw a line under it for for the audience, which is knowing or having an idea of what level of maturity your organization's at and working with and to that is so, so important. It, it's, a, it's a drum we beat constantly because if you are just starting out on your DEI journey, people don't have no concept of what equity is they they've never heard of buyers they've never really you know heard of unconscious bias before going in and starting at starting with some some advanced you know some advanced um programs and strategies and, and changes is going to meet a lot of resistance it's going to meet a lot mm-hmm. of pushback and the 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 um the organizational antibodies who are who are resistant to change are just going to come out in force and and it's going to uh you know it's going to fall by the wayside so um not trying to run before you can walk I think in this mm. space is, is is really really important so so just a caveat we we are talking about kind of level 5 or or more mature organizations today if that's not you you may be getting inspired and you may be getting fired up by a lot of the examples that are being shared here but um work with where you're at i guess is the is the is the um I, I don't know if you've got any more to say to that
0: yeah no i 100% like if you try and do deep race work in your organisation and if you've not even had the inclusion conversation you're going to make life really difficult for your people of colour because the rest of the organisation are not ready mm. what i will say is you do need to be deeply intentional and again some of the organisations, right at the beginning of their journey, they make it really clear that if you're not on board, then you're not part of the organisation, mm. and I think that's really, really important. And by that, I mean, um, you may not have done any deep race work, but if someone is racist, they need to be managed through a formal HR process, very, very thoroughly. Sure. Um, if someone is homophobic then that needs to be managed as well. And what we'll sometimes see is an organisation will start going, we're focusing on our inclusion and diversity strategy, we're investing in it. Mm. And then we go into the organisation, we hear of so many instances of really poor behaviour that aren't being tackled. Mm. And that does two things. One, all the people are so passionate about driving driving the change are undermined. And all the people who are anti the change are buoyed up because they're like, well him over here he said that the other day no one did anything so nothing happened so i would say a hundred percent that do not run before you can walk but as soon as you start that conversation you have got to be consistent and intentional because if you don't tackle the difficult things when they arise you're going to undermine any work that you do um and it's hard it's really really hard because you could have one of your highest performers and they do something Deeply problematic. Mm. You've got you've got to potentially manage them out of the organisation if they're doing something problematic, and like you might have to take a hit for that. But if you don't, there's no point even starting the conversation because no one's going to believe it's real anyway.
1: Mm. And and that's a really important. If inclusion for you as an organisation is a, I'm just using inclusion as a, as a sort of catch all for the for the sort of broad spectrum of things we're talking about. If that's a master value of your organisation, it does actually exclude the the people who are not on board with that and and that's that's the intentional choice you're making and that's as you as you just as you just illustrated there that's got to be followed up by very concrete action that that speaks to that value in the organization and mm-hmm. i i think i think when people are or organizations are committing to this journey being very cognizant and conscious of that, um, I think is 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 really important. And and also sign and also knowing what they're signing up for on the journey as well. Um and 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 being intentional about going on a level five you know if again level fives are our top end of the spectrum that <laughs> yeah. we that we talk about so when i say level five like that that's you know organizations that are advocate advocacy and disruption is 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 the the kind of label we give it it's organizations that are using their imp, influence and power and and to 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 shift culture to to shift their industry mm-hmm. and one of the examples you use there, I think, is is really um, a powerful way organizations we see at level five doing that, which is um, which is talking to their suppliers, partners, and organizations which are in in their ecosystem and orbit, mm-hmm. and making sure they're aligned. Because a really great example here in um, it's tangential to to, to DEI, but um, Bank Australia, for instance, won't use any suppliers that aren't a certified B Corp. Um, and, and so, so they've made a commitment to ethical business and they're basically saying, Hey, if you want to be our marketing agency, if you want to be our, you know, if you want to be our, our technology partner, you've got to be on the same journey as, as, uh, as us. And, and, and I think that messaging serves to provide a you know an additional motivation beyond obviously it being the right thing to Mm. do (laughs) to organizations out there to 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 really really consider how how they're going about this and how they're going on this journey
0: i'm just going to mention one more time but with with your pacific partners we did some supplier training
1: Mm. exactly
0: to that point where they made it very clear what their expectations were because every brand has so much power around a brand like you say is a huge ecosystem you've got the suppliers which can be production, it can be manufacturing, it can be marketing, um, legal, finance, all these different suppliers. And you can ask them to, like you say, commit and be on the same journey. Mm. Um, I will say, though, to do that with kindness. So one of the Mm. things I have seen is, you know, some organizations have endless pots of money and endless resources right. and they will ask their small business suppliers to meet their standards and i think you need to support your businesses on that journey um if you just you know mandate you know i'm sure bank of australia didn't do this but if you just mandate to a load of small businesses you must become a b corp if anyone's tried to become a b corp it is a lot of work sure so yeah. we it, i think we have to just be kind as well Otherwise, we are probably going to end up favoring those suppliers who have more resources and are bigger because they have the ability to meet some of the criteria, which therefore will probably mean that you're only working with dominant majority white-owned businesses. So just one one little caveat on that. I've heard a few businesses being really quite aggressive with what they expect from their suppliers. And I'm just like, Mm. oh, my word, you can be aggressive because you've got all the power. And your intention is great, but do it in a kind way, please, mm. to give everybody the space to be the best they can be.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a really, really important point. And and like you say, the 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 burden of the burden of of, of getting the sticker or the badge of we are a B Corp or or you know, we are we see it at farmers markets all the time. This is a complete tangent, but certified organic <laughs> is really expensive, but there are plenty of yes. farmers growing organic food, but they they can't afford the certification um to, to get that to get that official official ticket Exactly. Box. It's so, exactly
0: the same thing. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So that brings us to the end of part one of this conversation with Nigel Powell. I'm sure you'll all agree Nadja is a font of wisdom and knowledge on this subject. If you're listening to this immediately as it was released, make sure you subscribe to the Leaders for Good podcast in your feed so you can get hold of part two of this conversation when it drops in a couple of weeks' time. If you're listening to this a bit later after it was already released, the episode should already be in your podcast feed. So um, we look forward to seeing you and continuing this conversation in part two. Thank you.